God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verse 42. We're going to look at today is passing over love. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, we read, But woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. It is the mark of a religious hypocrite and not the Christian to do the smaller things of religion while passing over the most important thing. This will include passing over the love that Jesus instructed is the major characteristic in all true religion. All of God's laws having their foundation in love for God and God's people. And then in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, we read, Master, in reference to Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. Another translation adds that. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It is thus love for God and love for the people of God that is the essence and totality of all true religion. Yet that which God stresses should be the most important quality in true Christianity is often so neglected that cannot even be lightly observed in those who profess that they are Christ's. Nowhere also is faith of Jesus Christ more distorted than when his first two commandments are absent in his church. The truth also is that to carnal men, success in the world is more coveted than love for God and God's people. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 31, we read, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. So that if you ask most, even many who claim to be religious, success carries more weight in their heart than manifesting and following Christ's commands to love. Non-spiritual men pursuing worldly gain and or acknowledgement over love for God and their neighbor. Whenever, therefore, men pass over love, this evidences that Christ's commands as to how they are to live have been set aside and replaced with human desires. No man also should think that he has come to know anything of God or that he knows God, If love is not the dominant principle that rules his life, he also who does not love does not know God. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, we read, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Whenever there is a scarcity of love, there is a dearth of any true knowledge of the Lord. And though many will claim to know the Father, 
If love is absent, then no true knowledge of God can be held. Observe also that true knowledge of God will possess the very first fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22, which is love. Hence, the very first and most important fruit that will be evidenced in those filled with the Spirit of God is God's divine love being manifested in them. And in Galatians 5, verse 22, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That which Christ will immediately work in the heart of those in whom His Spirit dwells, if they remain being led by it, is that they will, by spiritual inspiration, be taught the importance of love. God is love. And the Son of God, via His Spirit in the hearts of His people, will bring forth this characteristic in all those called to be His own. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Where the true Spirit is, love will flow. It will not have to be forced. It will not be replaced with duty nor religious obligation, but will, if the Spirit is leading a man, naturally flow out of him. Whereas the very best, those who have not God's Spirit prompting and giving them the desire to love, can do, is to try to replicate and copy benevolent actions. Having no internal force motivating their hearts, because also they lack the Spirit of God, hypocrites will not be able to maintain for any consistent length of time even actions representing love. And because Christ's Spirit is not inspiring their hearts to love, then loving God and His people will quickly be forgotten and they shall return to a life of only loving themselves. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, we read, Four men, and this is in reference to the last days, shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. So also, where human love will center around self, divine love will center around God and others. The carnal and sensual nature of man loves nothing more than himself. How far then a man's love extends and what its object is shows the nature of a man. So that when men only love themselves, then we can be sure that Christ's spirit is absent in their hearts with only the carnal nature of fallen man guiding them. Ultimately, the presence of love will reveal if there has been any real faith in Christ. Because when faith in Christ sprouts, then love for God and others will emerge. As all true belief in both God and His Son, Jesus Christ, will evidence itself by God's love being spread amongst God's people. Love is therefore the spiritual byproduct of all sincere faith in the Lord Jesus. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, we read, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, 
nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. To be in Jesus Christ means there exists close proximity to Jesus Christ. For all then who have true relationship with the Son of God, it will not be either circumcision nor uncircumcision, nor any other outward religious observance that accounts for anything, but only faith that works itself out in love. For those then who are in Christ, faith and love will be esteemed as two of the most valuable elements in Christianity. A healthy church also will be a church that is growing in faith and love. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we read, We are bound to thank God always for you, and this is Paul writing to the Thessalonians, brethren, as it is meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all towards each other aboundeth. The church, then, should judge itself on, if it is spiritual or not, by if both faith and love have increased in it. The true measure of proper religion is that the development of faith and love are the two most important qualities in it. So that by these two divine standards, which have their origin in God, will God judge his people. Barnes on this verse. For in Jesus Christ, in the religion which Christ came to establish, neither circumcision, it makes no difference whether a man is circumcised or not. He is not saved because he is circumcised, nor is he condemned because he is not. The design of Christianity is to abolish these rites and ceremonies and to introduce a way of salvation that shall be applicable to all mankind alike by faith which worketh by love. Faith that evinces its existence by love to God and benevolence to people. It is not mere intellectual belief, but it is that which reaches the heart and controls the affection. It is not a dead faith, but it is that which is operative and which is seen in Christian kindness and affection. It is not mere belief of the truth or mere orthodoxy, but it is that which produces trite attachments to others. A mere intellectual assent to the truth may leave the heart cold and unaffected. Mere orthodoxy, however, bold and self-confident and sound may not be inconsistent with contentions, strifes, and divisions. The true faith is that which is seen in benevolence, in love to God, in love to all who bear the Christian name, in a readiness to do good to all mankind. This shows that the heart is affected by the faith that is held, and this is the nature and design of all genuine religion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, we read, Though I speak with the tongues of men of and angels, and have not charity or have not love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It is not what men speak, but if they love, that gives substance to their lives. For many a man has relied on his tongue and put great esteem upon the words he speaks. Ignorant 
that without love in his heart, he is nothing. A man's worth then will be seen to be not by what he says, but if he genuinely loves indeed in truth. It is also the absence of love that makes men when they speak, even if they are speaking of God, no more edifying than a man clanking on a piece of discarded metal. Ellicott on this verse, as sounding brass, not a brass trumpet or instrument of any kind, but simply a piece of metal, which when struck will merely produce noise. A tinkling cymbal, better, a clanging cymbal. This instrument can produce by itself no intelligible tune. All human speech, no matter how eloquently it is brought forth, cannot compensate for the absence of divine love in the heart. To those, then, who think their words can bring them personal significance, should caution themselves that without love, no man can be anything more than a noisome distraction and surely not spiritually useful to either God or man. Verse 2 now. First Corinthians, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Whatever gifts a man may possess and pride himself on, if he is absent in divine charity, he is nothing. Teaching us also that nothing will diminish a man more than where there is a vacancy of sincere love for God and the brethren. Thus he who possesses little to no love in his soul is nothing as far as God is concerned. And though men will spend their entire lives seeking to gain both human importance and worth by passing over love they will be judged by God as accomplishing nothing at all. A man's entire existence therefore can be judged by whether he sincerely and deeply obeyed Christ's commands to love. So great then is divine love that if men lack it, whatever else spiritual gift they may have or possess will be counted as spiritually worthless. Again, nothing will diminish a man's person more than if love is vacant and absent in his heart. This standard of love, as far as the scriptures are concerned, is the standard for all true eternal worth. By it, and only it, will men's lives and deeds be remembered. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, we read, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And now we're in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3 now. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not or do not have charity, it profiteth me nothing, neither giving all, nor sacrificing everything will profit a man anything if love was not the cause for doing it. And though men 
who have not divine love in them will rely on duty. They should not think that God values this the same as love. Thus, it makes no difference to God what you do if love is not the motive behind it, as neither duty nor obligation nor religious service is anything in God's sight, absent love being the motive that drives the service. Teaching us that the way that God judges all human action is by whether or not faith and love in God is what prompts it. In God's kingdom, love is the standard for holy living. And by this standard shall all in his kingdom be judged as whether they were profitable to the true work of God or not. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we read, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Science teaches us that two things cannot exist in the same space. When therefore there is love for the world, this will cancel out any portion in the human heart love for God. He then who sets his affection on this world will suffer as a result of his sin the loss of sincere love for God within himself. This is why all worldly pursuit will neutralize all heavenly affection. So that when the world is what is most cherished and sought for by a man or woman, then love for God will be erased. The practical result of loving the world ultimately will become a complete and total loss of love for the Father. Barnes on this verse. If any man love the world, if, in this sense, a person loves the world, it shows that he is no true religion. That is, if characteristically he loves the world as his portion and lives for that, if it is the ruling principle of his life to gain and enjoy that, it shows that his heart has never been renewed and that he has no part with the children of God, end quote. It is the unrenewed man who has not had God's spirit reform him that loves the world in place of God. Worldly affection, therefore proving that no spiritual transformation has ever taken place in a man. The world loves its own, and those still in the world have it as their greatest desire. The truth also is that Christian trial will have as its main obstacle if men have enough faith in Christ to overcome worldly temptation. Simply because, in the end, either the world will overcome a man or a man by his faith in the Son of God will overcome the world. In 1 John 5, 4, we read, For whatsoever or whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Matthew Henry on this. Faith sanctifies the heart and purifies it from those sensual lusts by which the world obtains sway and dominion over souls. It has the indwelling spirit of grace, which is greater than he who dwells in the world. The real Christian overcomes the world 
by faith. He sees in and by the life and conduct of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth that this world is to be renounced and overcome. He cannot be satisfied with this world, but looks beyond it and is still tending, striving, and pressing towards heaven. We must all, after Christ's example, overcome the world, or it will overcome us to our ruin. End quote. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 now. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. It is by faith and obedience to God's word that love is perfected in the Christian. Even as obedience to God is the mark of love for God. Obedience to God and love for God, therefore, cannot be separated. Hence, those who truly love the Lord will obey him, even as those who obey will prove by their obedience their loyalty to God. Observe as well, there are two things that will reinforce to a man that his religion is sincere and genuine, and that is indeed from God. They are, number one, his obedience to obey God's word, and number two, that divine love is growing in his heart and life. By these two observations, men can determine if they truly know God or not, and if, in fact, they have been saved by God or not as well. Barnes on 1 John 2, 5. In him, verily, is the love of God perfected. He professes to have the love of God in his heart, and that love receives its completion or filling up by obedience to the will of God. That obedience is the proper carrying out or the exponent of the love which exists in the heart. Love to the Savior would be defective without that, for it is never complete without obedience. If this be the true interpretation, then the passage does not make any affirmation about sinless perfection, but it only affirms that if true love exists in the heart, it will be carried out in the life, or that love and obedience are parts of the same thing, that one will be manifested by the other, and that where obedience exists, it is the completion or perfecting of love. Ultimately then, if we truly know God, our love for him will produce obedience to his will. For no man can truly say he loves God who does not obey God's will. As obedience is and shall be the first test of if a man's love is sincere or not towards the Lord. Obedience to God's commandments proves then that love for God rules the heart. As no man can rightly say that he loves God who will not obey the word of the Lord delivered to him. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, we read, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Whenever sin is expanding among men, love for God and the people of God will grow cold. The further then that the world progresses towards iniquity, the more love will be difficult to find in it. Hence, when ungodliness and unrighteousness grow in the world, 
then love recedes. Observe also that the devil's primary method of lessening the effects of God's love is by advancing sin. The pulpit commentary on this verse. The troubles and persecutions that beset believers, the spirit of worldliness and self-seeking that a timid faith encourages, will issue in loosening dependence upon God and trust in his providential care, end quote. This verse is in the context of the last days, and now Matthew 24, 3. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Teaching us that the more we move towards the end times, the less influence that love for God and others will have on people. Observe, therefore, that one of the great characteristics which will define the world before Christ returns in his glory and to judge the world is that divine love will continue to lose its authority among men. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Love is the major spiritual fruit of those born of God, because also men have been given God's spirit through the new birth, then God's love will also spring forth from them. For he who has been birthed into Christ's kingdom will love the fellow citizens in it. Having become, through spiritual regeneration, a child of God, love for God's people will not need to be forced, but, but will, by nature, be found in the Christian. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, we read, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And this is the definition of those times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That which replaces and will take the place of love for God in the last days will be love of self. Hence, men's deepest affection will either be themselves or the Lord. And no man can successfully love himself and at the same time love God fervently. Simply because he who loves God will love God more than self. Even as he who loves self will love himself more than God. Teaching us that ultimately men will either love themselves more than the Heavenly Father or love the Heavenly Father more than themselves. Ultimately then, all men will love someone. It is just whom they love which will determine their eternal destiny. Ellicott on this verse, lovers of their own selves. Selfishness well heeds the dreary list. It is the true root of all sin. Covetousness, more accurately rendered, lovers of money. This love of money 
has been happily termed the daughter of selfishness, end quote. Covetousness also is the first characteristic listed as its existence in a person will very quickly reveal deep love for self. The love of money also has been happily termed the daughter of selfishness. How close then a man holds his purse strings will tell you how much love he has for himself. It is also not necessary to be rich to be covetous. As many a man who does not have much desires things in the world substantially more than God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 now. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? Barnes on this verse. If a professed Christian, therefore, does not love one who bears the divine image, whom he sees and knows, how can he love that God whose image he bears, whom he has not seen? End quote. This verse teaches us that any who claim to love an invisible God are liars, if in fact they do not love those already born in the image of God. As true affection for the Father will be seen through sincerely loving those also begotten of him. It is therefore beyond reason that if men hate the brethren, that they ever could really be born of God, simply because he who hates his brother cannot love God. According to the scriptures, then, hating the children of God proves that a man or woman has never been born of God nor is part of God's heavenly family. Even as love is the characteristic of all true religion, whereas hate has its origin in the devil. John chapter 13, verse 34 now. A new commandment I give unto you, Christ speaking, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this love, by this, shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. It is love for one another that Jesus said reveals his true disciples. Hence, the primary characteristic that Jesus declares will be manifested by those who faithfully follow him is that they will love their fellow Christians. Barnes on this verse. Ye shall not be known by special rites or habits, not by a special form or dress or manner of speech, not by special austerities or unusual customs, like the Pharisees, the Essenes, or the scribes, but by a deep, genuine, and tender affection. And it is well known it was this which eminently distinguished the first Christians and was the subject of remark by the surrounding pagans. See, said the pagan, see how they love one another. They are ready to lay down their lives for each other. Alas, how changed is the spirit of the Christian world since then. Perhaps of all the commands of Jesus, the observance of this is that which is least apparent to a surrounding world. It is not so much that they are divided into different sects, for this may be consistent with love for each other. But it is the want of deep-felt, genuine love towards Christians, even of their own denomination. 
the absence of genuine self-denial, the pride of rank and wealth, and the fact that professed Christians are often known by anything else rather than by true attachment to those who bear the same Christian name and image. The true Christian loves religion wherever it is found, equally in a prince or in a slave, in the mansion of wealth or in the cottage of poverty, on the throne or in the hut of the want. He overlooks the distinction of sect, of color, and of nations. And wherever he finds a man who bears the Christian name and manifests the Christian spirit, he loves him. And this, more and more as the millennium draws near, will be the special badge of the professed children of God. Christians will love their denominations less than they love the spirit and temper of the Christian, wherever it may be found. End quote. By this divine love shall all the world see and be able to perceive whom Christ's true disciples are. Since love is the mark of a true Christian, we can know who really are Christ's and those who only claim to be. As love settles every question as to who in this world are truly called and chosen. By love, one can determine all that needs to be known or in order to recognize the true people of God. Amen.